Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I am Alex Jones and today I'm your host and joining me is the absolutely fantastic Jamie. And we call him that because that's his name. Hello, Jamie. I don't know what that makes you then because you have just masterminded what might be the YouTube thumbnail of the century. Um, I don't know if we need to do like a descriptor for people who can't see it right now, but it's pretty special. Um, yeah, it, it, a descriptor it is uh, an Assassin's Creed picture with some little boxes and the word deals, deals, deals uh, and 20% off and some other things, which, which makes sense in the context of the first story we're going to be talking about, which is Ubisoft sliding some cheeky adverts into their games. What might throw people um, is the very, very one pound fish that it says at the bottom of the thumb, which I had never heard of. And it was a viral thing that you told me about. Sorry. Yeah, but it's the worst kind of viral in that it was viral like 10 or 11 years ago and no one really remembers it anymore, probably for good reason. But, you know, we were trying to think of something that made sense with the uh, the thumbnail of, of what people say that's, that's international. Let's put it that way. Because in the UK, if you want someone to buy something from like a market stall, if you were Ubisoft, for example, and you had a market stall, rather than putting pop-ups in your games, you would say something like, come on, come on, two for a pound, two for a pound. That's what you'd say, but... Americans, Canadians, Australians, people from like the African continent, people from Europe, they wouldn't get that. And so you assured me that something more international, more widely known, was very, very one pound fish. So I thought I was thinking actually work. Maybe we should have done a French version in honor in honor of Yves Guimau, of course, the, the legendary CEO of Ubisoft. Like what it would be the French say. Um what's so what's very, very very, very good would be très très bon. And very, very cheap would be tre tre. I don't even know how to say cheap. What's fish? And then, oh, poisson. Un euro poisson. Tre tre bon poisson. Tre tre bon. Un euro poisson. Very, very. That actually rhymes as well. Oh, we missed the trick there, haven't we? I know that there are actually some French-speaking people who listen to this and watch this as well, so they will be distinctly disappointed right now. Um... Well, foremost amongst them, Yves Guimau, who, of course, an avid listener, uh, and um, he's just he, he's just counting down the days till he can hear our first-hand remarks on Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. He can't wait. I am genuinely surprised that that game comes out in, like, eight, nine days. It doesn't feel real, does it? It doesn't feel real, and if you'd have asked me if that game was going to get delayed again, I would have been, like, 100%. Because I, I don't know. When you talk about Avatar, and, and it in and of itself as a franchise is absolutely massive. I mean, not as big now as it was when it first released, um, you know, the first film came out, but still a massive property. And then you're talking about a game made by Ubisoft, it feels like it should be bigger. But then, of course, we have to remember that Ubisoft don't market anything anymore unless it's inside one of their own games. So... Oh, what I say, this guy, man, he's so on top of the news. News beat Jones. You see, you find him standing on your nearest street corner screaming extra, extra, because this guy knows all the headlines. Yeah, I do know the headlines. Would you like me to get? Would you like me to fill you in on the uh, latest headline from sure. Ubisoft? Um, Only Jonesy. So, of course, what we are referencing is the fact that Ubisoft, seemingly uh, by accident, according to them anyway, um, decided that they would slip a few cheeky pop-up adverts into um, their Assassin's Creed games. Uh, but a lot of people didn't like the fact they did this, and so they disabled them. And they said that the pop-ups were in fact a technical error, and they were not supposed to be in the games um I, I don't know how you do jamie you are more gaming um the like development adjacent to me in your expert opinion 
Is it possible to accidentally slide in some adverts into a video game? My gut reaction, Jamesy, and and I do want to be as charitable as I can be to Ubisoft here, because mistakes do happen, and things do accidentally slip into video games, but it's hard to see how an entire full-screen ad can accidentally appear in a video. Well, simply, it can't accidentally appear in a video game. Um, what can, I guess, happen is the context under which that med ad was meant to appear, how people were meant to see it, you know, like which menu they were meant to be in when it appears, that can all get messed up. Um, and so the idea that maybe this ad um, appearing and taking up the entirety of the screen, for example, when the player goes to access the map, so you can imagine if you had your Xbox or PlayStation controller and you pushed, you know, the Monday equivalent to the back button or the touchpad, and all of a sudden you were greeted with a full screen ad, that doesn't happen by mistake. You know, that, that ad itself is an asset. That asset would have been made Ubisoft, even with a company of you know, thousands of people where things can slip through lots of pairs of uh, hands and slip through lots of fingers, you know, assets get made, they get signed off, they get added into games all intentionally. Um, so at some point or another, someone was comfortable or even a large amount of people were probably very comfortable with a full screen ad making its way into the game. Could they? Okay, but hold on though. You, say, you, you, you seem to be saying no. Um, what about if they slipped knocked over a cup of water which was nearby a keyboard could that have caused a full screen pop-up ad to have See, appeared i've seen films jamie so don't get you know don't think i'm an idiot i've seen films where stuff can happen with glasses of water and computers could that have caused do, do full what, screen pop-up ad what you're what you're saying to me right now isn't even giving me the image of the glass of water being to blame for some reason, I've got this like mousetrap style contraption in my head now where a glass of water fell on the pencil that rolled off a table that landed on someone's shoe, which made them flick it up in the air and then it hit a fan and it bounced over itself, which made the blinds get... And all this rapid chain of events that led to one poor French developer like hitting a return too early and putting this asset in the wrong place. Um, I, I don't know. Um, when you look... Oh, well, what I will say is that when you look at this ad in its own right, again, it's an ad that takes up most of the screen. It's uh, for Assassin's Creed um, Mirage is the one in question. Um, uh, so I don't actually know which game you had to be playing. I think the person was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey and they got an ad for Assassin's Creed Mirage in the example that I saw. And it Mine is 20%. 20% off, Jamie. Yeah, 20% off. But you know what the other really incriminating piece of information is, Jonesy? Well, that it was 20% off as part of a Black Friday sale. And I don't know if you were, um, you know, had your ear that close to the ground, but it turns out Black Friday was just last Friday. So that's the other thing that doesn't look particularly great is this was an also an awkwardly well-timed advert. And you look at the two button prompts at the bottom of it, it's close and buy now. And you don't give, you don't make the primary option of an advert to close it unless it's taking up real estate on the screen that you might want back as a gamer. Say, for example, if you were looking at a map. Um, the more I think about it, the more I fear that this was a let's push this out to certain users, hope that it remains hush hush, and see what kind of analytics we get back in terms of how how much people engage with it, how long they look at it for, how many people click on buy now, how many people can click on close. And they found that the second it hit social media, as they should have seen coming a million miles away, people lost their heads. 
There is there is an interesting thing about this though, and we've talked about it before, is that there is a lot of um, uh, sort of hay made about what goes on in echo chambers, you know, and we are part of one for sure. Um, when we sort of complain about things as gamers that we don't like and we say, how did they think they get away with this? And then we find out that they made $10 million in one weekend because of it. And we're like, oh, this is a this is here to stay. This is something that we're going to complain about, we're going to moan about, but they made so much money that it's, it's going to be a thing. Um, when you sort of line up full price games, free to play games with things like battle passes, where do you feel the pop-up ads for games? Mobile game style into AAA full price games or maybe so not maybe not full price games maybe maybe they cut a little bit off the top because they're going to stick some ads in there for you um how do you feel about them in general if if they were to push forward with some of this oh i, I feel uh, at least my experiences with mobile games have left me feeling pretty horrible about the whole practice but then mobile games are a weird beast in their own right because what you tend to find is it's and, and i guess what ubisoft are exercising here a little bit is that ads piss people off and so ads aren't a great way to build up positive rapport between a consumer and the product that you're trying to sell. So most of the ads that you are being fed when you're playing, say, a mobile game are for a different mobile game because, like, that's just the weird sort of, like, the, you put it this way, you don't play a free-to-play game and get an advert with, like, saying, hey, here's 30 to 45 seconds explaining why you should buy microtransactions in the game you're already playing. It's, hey, here's 30 to 45 seconds on why you should be playing a completely different game, which is a bizarre kind of economy for something like that to exist on the mobile side. And clearly it works for both parties. Um, I can't see it working particularly well for video games. And I think that would be a really weird, insidious, slippery slope that I hope we don't ever have to go down to figure out how um, poorly it would, would, would work. Like, if you did all of a sudden get one minute long unskippable ads in Call of Duty talking about how good Assassin's Creed was or why you should play Assassin's Creed or letting you play some weird like low res fake demo of Assassin's Creed for 30 seconds where you run around until you run out of energy and it's like you have to download the whole thing but the key point is that the kind of premium video games that we're talking about at the moment aren't free and so there isn't this sort of like just try before you buy or dip it and now kind of ethos as, as exists in the mobile gaming sector and so things will be different that said i can't pretend that as you pointed out earlier that if there isn't you know if the analytics don't prove that these things work in almost any respect that we won't see more of them um this may have been a technical error in some respects i can't i, I doubt that it was entirely a technical error but some elements of how and when and where and why it appeared may well have been but if you told me there was a future where i don't know in a Call of Duty game, for example, you had to watch an in-game advert for like another game mode or a bundle they'd put in the store, or if they were selling other pieces of the game piecemeal, you had to sit watch an advert for that. And if you watched a 30-second advert, you might get a tiny amount of currency. Then maybe that like that is something that mobile games do at the moment, and that is maybe something that video games go towards in the future. Because and sorry, I know I'm talking a lot here. When you look at the trajectory of how video games have shifted their core ideals towards player engagement, it's so far been the case in a lot in a, in most things, not in all, that where free-to-play games have gone, video games on home consoles have soon followed, whether they're free-to-play or otherwise. And you know, we saw the movement away from 
DLC and season passes and map packs into the constant sort of gratification of receiving free content. We saw the move towards battle passes um, and so on and so forth. Like there is a lot of territory that was very well explored on mobile and people tested it on, on home consoles and it absolutely worked. Whether you're selling a game like Call of Duty or FIFA or whether you're um, giving it away for free like Fortnite. Um, and so when those kinds of people are making the decisions um, and more often than not, those decisions are kind of validated by consumers falling for those practices or buying into them, no pun intended, then you, you've always got to presume the worst. I'm not excited about it. I'm not happy about it. But, you know, expect the worst when it comes to the way video games are going to try and monetize in the future. It's the way it's going to be. I think if I was if I was going to give them an out, um, and they say it's a technical error, I think what they really mean it was a there's like a technician's error, and there was a meeting where, um, uh, you know, they were talking about doing something like this, and someone implemented it, you know, took it down the line and said, okay, we're going to put this in, and then someone someone higher up said, no, we weren't going to do it yet. We were we were thinking of doing it, and you know that was an idea we were floating, and and blah blah blah. I think if it was actually an error, I think that's how that's how it's an error. The idea that it was a uh, a literal technical error is is pretty ludicrous yeah, like, and fantastic. What I, I what I understand when I look at this image, like the fact that the art set was made, the fact that a designer sat down and made this minus twenty percent, you know like image you know the, like the asset itself the fact that the copy was written someone wrote the words black friday sale someone you know like came up with a sentence take advantage of 20 percent off on the latest game in the series exclamation mark like there were multiple people in this process who all had to have made the same error for this like and again that's why i can't believe that there are any errors in this asset existing and when you look at the asset and the size of the asset and the two options in the bottom left hand side of the asset it all leads me to believe that something about this was very much intentional. It was probably the implementation that they think was the result of a technical error. Um, or it's all just a fucking excuse, you know, that this is the, I'm sorry I got caught of game design. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, because obviously how you could not get caught with something like this, is, is how you think no one's going to say anything. Um, we have got a couple of interesting comments coming in from the chat. Uh, which I think might they may have nailed it, and I want to get your reaction to especially one of these ideas. Oh, um, Al Ashley says DLC will be to make the game ad free in future, so there'll be DLC to uh, get rid of the ads. And then uh, Aim Nesta saying um, in the future is going to be seventy dollars for the game with ads, or the enhanced edition. Sorry, yeah, seventy dollars for the game with ads, or the enhanced edition will be ninety dollars with no ads. And then they're gonna you're gonna have to decide which version you want to buy. Um, which version are you going for in that? in that calculation are you drop in an extra with, 20 the same as with the mobile economy well it's difficult because with the mobile economy it's sometimes like the economies of scale are fucking bizarre like you can get a game for free and the ad and they can say block all ads or get rid of all ads for 9.99 and you're like where the fuck did that number come from <laughs> yeah i don't so it remains to be seen what the video game equivalent of that but as we as we said to al ashley's point about um you're paying to remove ads we're free to play games especially in the mobile market, which is light years ahead at the moment in terms of monetizing users, where they've got before, like home consoles will either soon follow or at least try to. So yeah, that, that seems like a very possible end conclusion. Which version of a game would I buy? I don't fucking know. It's kind of like ads at the moment. Like, you know, the, there are like 
did I did I upgrade from Spotify to Spotify Premium to, because I wanted to stop listening to ads? Yes. When I was younger and I had less money, I dealt with the free version of Spotify for a long time. Eventually, I made that change. Um, do I deal with ads on the very tiny amount of free-to-play games that I've played over the last couple of years? In almost all cases, yes, I have dealt with those ads. Sometimes I've even willingly watched ads in return for various currencies and so on and so forth. I try not to play that many of those kinds of games, but sometimes one slips through the net. Um, so it would all depend. Uh, what I will say is I'm definitely not on the extreme end of the um, the argument because I don't know what you think about this, but I saw a legitimate tweet, and I, I, say, I say legitimate, that is, I should say I'm not making it up, and it had thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of likes, and it was a response to this, this exact story we're talking about with the ad that popped up in the Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and the body of the tweet was, if this happened to me while I was playing a $70 video game, I would immediately uninstall it. And when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, it. people might hate this, but it does take me back to where I was at last week, where, like, that whole thing about cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yes, it's annoying. Yes, it's a bad practice. No, we shouldn't encourage it. Yes, we, yes, we should put back against it. But no, don't uninstall the game you spent $70 for. They'll spend seventy dollars on, like play the game and have the fun that you paid for. Still, if you can. I don't think it's quite the same as, as when we were talking about battle passes, though, because they are optional. Um, if you're if you're buying, I think if you're buying a product and then someone interrupts your enjoyment, or like we're saying in this instance, it was someone playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and they uh, went, they clicked on the map, and then the ad popped up full screen. Like, that is that is interrupting, you know, you, what you're doing, your flow of the game and everything. I think that is different than opting into a battle pass in that sense. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, uninstall the game. Um, I, yeah, I, if anyone feels like that additional button press of closing the ad between wanting to see the map and seeing the map, is a reason to not play an entire video game. I'm just not on that level yet. I'm not, still I, on the side of, I'm playing that video game. I'll tell you what I would be tempted to do, though. Head over to a review site, drop my score by one point, and then leave a review yeah. saying, love the game, thought was really good. I did not like the fact they have these giant pop-up ads in-game. What is this, a mobile game? And I, totally I think valid. if enough people did that, I think it would. Um, that would yeah, hinder... Um, their ability to do it in future you'd hope because often especially with uh um the way that deals work you know that you've got certain things tied to review scores etc etc often not the public generally but um i think critics would i think critics go even harder than um the public would if it became a thing that started to roll out and to be into more being oh, yeah. games i think critics would be even more damning of it i'd like when well, you look at the way that even some of the biggest websites in the world like ign for example have pushed back against whether it's you know the the unacceptably slimline campaign in this year's Call of Duty or the um, you know EA's really bad practice of taking the same version of FIFA and throwing it out on the Switch year on year or the horrible performance of the recent Pokemon games on the Nintendo Switch you know major outlets are pushing back against bullshit and I'd like to think this is the kind of bullshit that, yeah, that would also be a part of that. The extent to which publishers notice depends. Like yes you're right sometimes there are you know, bits of work and game some end-to-end game development that's subcontracted out, and those contracts sometimes have clauses on it where bonuses are attached to certain Metacritic scores. And those people, I hope, would steer clear of any of that bullshit. But there are other companies that don't care about, like Activision, right now. Aren't well, it's a special way. I guess more point, more 
it's really Activision, Microsoft and Xbox now more than Activision. But they don't really care about Modern Warfare 3's Metacritic score at the moment. Um, yeah, but it's still an important way of voicing concern, disdain. Uh, you know, how many other words can you come up with for it? The endless um, for something that I hope doesn't catch on at all. Agreed. No, I'm with, I'm with you on that one. Um, but talking about ways of voicing disdain and uh, when you're unhappy with something, I should actually mention that we are contactable uh, on YouTube and Twitter at Super Show Pod. If you wanted to reach out to us, we are also on podcasting platforms. We're talking Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and many, many others. We're also on paisleyradio.com Thursdays at 10 p.m. Repeated on Mondays at 10 p.m. See, we flipped reversed it this week. We did the old uh, housekeeping stuff further into the pod. Um, and talking about monetization, hello, uh, we are also um, we also have a Patreon, and you can um, join up and become a patron of ours over at patreon.com forward slash super show. Um, we are on the, what is it, the second to last day of the month, uh, and something that we started doing um two months ago now blimey I, I must be that um off the suggestion of one of our amazing um patrons and contributors i can't who was it i can't remember who it was now with the um so the game oh, don't ask me that i can't remember who it was i apologize um anyway someone suggested that we do a list of the games that are going to be available and that are dropping uh in the coming month and as it is nearly the start of december um i we thought we would do that for you today so jamie has very kindly gone and scoured uh, the internet for games that are coming out that you may be interested in um, over the course of December. Um, so, Steam World Build is coming December first. Avatar: Frontiers of Pandora is coming December seventh. Arizona Sunshine is coming on the seventh as well. The day before on the seventh too. And House Flipper uh, two is coming on the fourteenth. And Pokemon Scarlet and Violet DLC, the Indigo Disc, is also coming out on the fourteenth. So, if you are looking forward to any of those, if you are particularly keen. On House Flipper 2, for example, you can pick that up um, in December. Yeah, it's funny, Rich. I am actually quite curious about House Flipper 2. I played a demo of it, I think, during one of the you know, Steam's big sort of like demo festivals, and I wasn't totally enamored with it, but it did have some cool ideas. So if it's in a slightly better place, or at least if they've got a, you know, a nice roadmap in terms of content, you know, then I look forward to giving it a go. Between that, and figuring out if one the day before is actually going to come out, and two <laughs> if the day before is going to be the day before in terms of you know what it's look like in the trailers. It's going to be a fascinating month, um, but pretty short in terms of big AAA hitters. It is it is a bit of a weird month. Like we were talking before the pod, Avatar: Frontiers of Pandora um, is. Oh no, hold on. Was that in the pod? I can't remember. Blimey, my brain. That was, that was in the pod. That was at the beginning, wasn't it? Um, Avatar, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora is going to be a weird one because we already know that Ubisoft don't do well at marketing games for whatever reason. They just decide that's not a thing they do anymore, no matter how good a game seemingly is going to be. So the fact that I haven't seen it like everywhere doesn't doesn't actually worry me that that much it kind of makes me wonder even more if it's going to be an amazing property or whether it's just going to be another game that maybe we should forget about and move on which is what i was thinking when i you know from the stuff that i've seen up to this point but as an avatar game it, it could be absolutely phenomenal um you know i don't think it will be but do you want to, do you want to, do you want to my predictions yeah go on my yeah predictions, predictions is that 
as we discussed a lot around the time of E3, when the kind of the big gameplay blowout for Frontiers of Pandora happened, it's going to be labeled with a shorthand Far Cry with Blue People. Yep. And that's going to be a shorthand that most people are happy to agree with, apart from a small portion of people who get really into it and start to talk about the nuances of the game or the way it actually differentiates itself from Far Cry, although those most those people will, for the most part, be ignored. The Metacritic is going to come in totally fine. It's going to average a seventy-six. Um, no one's going to actually, no one's going to really hate it. But also, very few people are going to totally love it. Lots of sevens. People who are slightly more generous will give it an eight. But as I said, net seventy-six. And then by this time, no, I'm not going to say by this time next year. I'm going to say by next summer, we'll get a Ubisoft earnings report. That suggests that for some fucked up reason, the game that you know no one that bought um, actually did surprisingly well. <laughs> and millions of people somewhere in the fucking world, probably in China, um, all bought Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. I don't even know if they can, <laughs> if they can buy it in China. I just know that Chinese people love Avatar. I, f- I almost feel like, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. It's almost like a, um, was it Aquaman? But I, I saw Aquaman the movie yeah. and it was like, oh, that did a billion dollars. <laughs> Over a billion at the box office. And I was like, how? Like, that was trash. Did it really do? But I couldn't believe it. Thought it was very, sounded very sus, but apparently it did. So there we go. I think uh, you're probably right that Avatar will do um, pretty decent numbers for Ubisoft. I'm going to say that it's going to get more like a 69 than a 76. I feel like some people are going to be real harsh on it. And some people are going to go like, oh, no, hey, if you like Avatar, there'll be a lot of, if you like Avatar, you should, yeah, you should definitely play this game. There'll be a lot of that. My my thinking is that the people who go into it not liking Avatar, and there are a lot of those people who kind of have this, it's weird for a series that has only got two films, how many people identify as having Avatar fatigue. Like, it feels like sometimes there are more people with Avatar fatigue than there are with Star Wars and MCU fatigue. It's like, there have been two films in like fourteen years. What do you mean? <laughs> I swear, people don't like them that much. I swear that people had Avatar fatigue after Avatar, like the, after they the did. first one, which made no sense. I but I was I kind of feel like I was one of those people. Like it was it was everyone kept talking about it all the time and how amazing it was. And like yeah, it was good. It was Fern Gully, but for live action, and that's fine. But I wasn't. I was not looking forward to the second one particularly. But you know what? The second one was fine. I went and saw it at the cinema as well, and I thought it was okay. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not hating on Avatar. I'm not saying it's, it's incredible or awful. Like, I don't know, but we'll see. Like, people still went to see it. It's like I, I just remember thinking when the when the second one was about to come out that there's no way it can even get close to the first one, and like that's a two billion dollar plus movie. It's like the third, high, it's like, yeah, it's the third highest grossing film of all. I think it's Avatar, the second Avatar, and Avengers Endgame are like the top three in some order. Um, wow, I can't believe it's up there like that. To be honest, but yeah, it's, a, it's the third. Uh, yeah, it's like it, 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 it's it was gigantic. And again, international box office has a lot to do with that. But it is a little bit weird when everyone you speak to is like, yeah, I, I either don't like Avatar, I don't care about Avatar, or I'm bored of Avatar. And the only people who you know who went to see it in the cinema are all like your cu- a couple of mates and your mum. And all of a sudden, it's <laughs> another two billion dollar movie. But I think. The Far Cry fundamentals that are present in Avatar, as well as the fact that I think the visuals look quite strong and it looks like a fairly solid representation of that world. Um, I think I think it's going to win a lot of naysay. I think there are going to be a lot of people who are going to get given a job to review Frontiers of Pandora, come in, come in lukewarm, 
be pleasantly surprised, and that's where like some of the eights will come from. Okay, yeah, no, I, I could I could see that, but hey, we don't have um, we don't have too long to wait. It's like we said, it's coming out on the seventh, which is um, just over a week at this point as day day of recording. Um, Arizona Sunshine Two, that's probably only one of the. I'm trying to think. Yeah, like so I've I played Arizona Sunshine One on VR. Um, any of the other games in that list, obviously, are, I didn't play House Flipper One. I have I've played obviously other Pokemon games, but I haven't played any of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Arizona Sunshine One was was good, was fun. I haven't played it for a long time. Um, I imagine this is going to feel, you know, pretty much of a muchness. Um, I'm assuming it is VR. I haven't even looked into anything about it. It'd be pretty weird if they suddenly made yeah. a shift into like first person, uh, whatever. But that's one that I might be looking yeah. out for. I might, you never know. I might, I might dig the headset out and have a little uh, go of Arizona Sunshine too. We'll see. Yeah, I've got a feeling there are maybe some some slightly salty PSVR two owners out there who are looking at Arizona Sunshine two as potentially like something like even if it is another game where you're standing around shooting zombies um you know it's something at least yeah and the, the first one was cool like it was it was a fun game it was a it felt like a proper game which i had not when i was playing it back then there was it often seemed like you were trying to sort of hop from experience to experience and there weren't the many sort of game fully fledged kind of games out there but it was still yeah it was still pretty basic um anyway enough yeah, about games um, coming out Sorry, go on. I was going to say, Arizona Sunshine 2 doesn't even have its own Wikipedia page at the moment. Oh. But it is coming out 7th of December. PSVR 2, MetaQuest, and Steam VR. Okay. Um, but we were talking about how Ubisoft monetize. And as I said, the way we monetize, apart from doing this on mm-hmm. getting some ads on YouTube, is we have a Patreon. And if you'd like to become a patron, go over to uh, patreon.com forward slash super show. Some people already did that. They are absolutely amazing individuals. And we thank them every single week because they are epic and and you will see that there are some names uh on screen right now i would also like to give a shout out to some people uh, for supporting us i'm talking aaron cameron athletic gravy brimstone ice knock rock salt jesper camden nielsen pastors guild and the big dogs the members of the board i'm talking brett z aka shellshock geometric potter hacksaw book Reed, manuel guerrero and peaswad um so yeah, no, thank you to everyone for supporting us, uh, supporting our patron for going over there and signing up. It does indeed keep the lights on. It keeps us coming back week after week. It allows me and Jamie to get together and chat games, which we love to do. Um, so thank you. Thank you, everybody, so much for that. Although, speaking of us getting together and chatting games, I should say, actually, we did see Chris in, in the flesh since the last episode of this podcast, and we have tried to ply him with uh, gifts and sexual favours in return for a cheeky appearance in the podcast. Nothing in the books just yet, but uh, sit tight, folks. Hopefully, sooner rather than later. But do, do you know what? The first thing he wanted to do when we saw him was chat games. So, um, hey. Very true. He should come on and we can chat. Because he's he's currently playing through Spider-Man 2, so he was he wanted to chat about some of that goodness. So, um, exactly. hopefully. And hopefully, I told, hopefully I said, Chris, it can't, legally speaking, I'm not allowed to talk to you about that game. You need to just listen to the spoiler cast once you've finished it, which is available to anyone who pledges at patreon.com forward slash super show at the $5 tier or above. Absolutely. Um, ah, do you know what else I haven't done? Another way people can support us, and I'm going to do this quickly, is uh, by watching us live when we do this on YouTube or, or just leaving comments. But I would like to just say hello to a few of the people that are uh, chatting away in the chat right now, um, who often, a lot of these names, a lot of these people join us every week when we go live, even though we are a day late today. Thank you so much for joining us again. So I'm going to say hello to Amnestus, Classy Cat, uh, to Leo Dunlop, to B. Raub, Nick Leakes, uh, Al Ashley, 
Rodrigo, just a guy. Or see him. Uh, there we go. I think that is, uh, that is everyone in the chat that I'm going to say hello to at the moment because I can't see any other names. Not that I'm leaving any other one out. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Um, one thing I want to know is James. person you really don't like. Yeah, now if I've missed out someone, I'm going to feel bad now. They're going to be like, oh, Jones, you left me out of purpose. I didn't. I just had to spool, uh, spool through the chat and read quickly. <laughs> so I apologize if I did miss anyone. Um, Jamie, what have you been up yes. to in the world of gaming? Um, since we last chatted, next year, really, a, a little bit of um, going back through a, a couple of uh, titles that I've missed from early on in the year, especially as you know, end of the year discussions and Jeff Keighley's The Game Awards fast approach, but also playing something that um, wasn't released too long ago uh, in the form of Robocop Rogue City, which I, you know what I feel like, and I, I don't know, this sounds maybe a little bit unfair. And, I, and, I, and I, this isn't my way of you know, trying to undermine what that game has to offer or anything like that. But I do feel like the thoughts that I shared on Robocop around the time that we played the demo um, largely hold true when it comes to the right. the finished article. You know, that, get, that, that game is very much a case of what you see is what you get. And the fact that it has a demo is a thing of beauty. And it's one of those perfect situations where people like myself play that demo and they're like actually i do like what i've got a taste of here and i do want more of this game and so i'm gonna you know i'm gonna pick it up in in due course um but it also just means that like it is so sort of black and white that if you play that demo for yourself or if you've just seen any volume of gameplay of this game or you listen to us chatting about the demo a couple of weeks ago whenever it was then you broadly speaking know what you're in for with robocop rogue city I'd still just want to like yeah, reiterate that 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 game is bizarre in so many different ways, and it it almost feels like it shouldn't work um, because that license is so difficult to adapt. I actually, Skill Up uploaded his review um, slightly after the fact, um, after we discussed the demo, for example, and he clearly he's a much bigger fan of the film series um, than I am, and he was talking about the intricacies of you know the differences between RoboCop and RoboCop Two and the the you know the degree of satire and what it's actually satirizing and where Rogue City taps into that and where it's actually something very different or where it's its own beast and that was very interesting um, because for me I just kind of took that very kind of broad surface level reaction of like oh they're not taking this seriously and neither did RoboCop so like you know and slapping the word satire and everything even when sometimes <laughs> I don't even because it's like is it satire does that work what is like satire and irony if you don't know what it is call it ironic call it irony right it's probably one or the other um but um but but its fundamentals are still just fun and i and i still think there's something really silly but also satisfying about literally clunking your way through actually in some cases quite pretty and interesting uh locations and just fucking throwing computers at people and having legs and heads fly off uh you get to the point where you can mod your weapons by almost like you add these chips to these motherboards and you swap out through various motherboards to um, actually change that the that main i forget what robocop's gun is called but you could change it in some interesting ways like one of the first boards you get allows it to become fully automatic for example which is interesting in a way of keeping that gun relevant throughout that game's campaign right. which it should be um because it's the only weapon you have all the time it's the only weapon that has infinite ammo um but that motherboard also happened to chip in it that increased the degree of blood and gore that the gun produced well, it was totally unnecessary in a game that was already pretty gory but as soon as you put it on you're like actually this is way better <laughs> because now there's and that game like 
the amount of decals that it preserves and how long they stay in certain locations for is quite wonderful. So it is kind of cool, like walking through a room after you've blasted everyone's heads off. And there, I'm making myself sound like a psychopath right now, but there are corpses everywhere. Every wall is riddled with bullet holes and blood, and the you know there's broken bits of this, that, and the other. And um, it's still a very satisfying game to play. Their their kind of their their choice to kind of create these mini hub worlds and populate them with side quests is again bizarre and leads to some really awkward and often poorly voiced NPC interactions. But at the same time, they're part of the charm that it feels like that needs to be there. Yeah. Um, it's just the perfect like seven out of ten blocky, you know, license based shooter. Um, and to be fair, I think a lot of yeah. the, a lot of those like eighties, nineties movies that you could do that to, that's kind of what they deserve, right? That you don't really need a full fledged like balls to the wall avatar, um, like Pandora sort of game. You just need right. You just need like, hey, this is what it is. What it and is. Like- and like there, there are interesting ways of, of it depends on the series like you know slightly more like series and so slightly more serious film franchises have been adapted in slightly more serious ways like we're still at the place with alien where most of the attempts to adapt that into various video games over the years be it like going all the way back to avp and then more recently with aliens fighting Elite, and you had the um alien isolation in the middle of all of that they've all been pretty earnest attempts to kind of isolate either the action elements of aliens or the horror elements of alien and kind of adapt that fairly faithfully and that makes sense but like yeah when it comes to the robocops and the you know the starship troopers and the of the world like there's an an earnest kind of trying to make it hard-boiled sort of approach wouldn't make that much sense you need to tap into the the, the underlying themes and ideas that were present in the film you need to have the same sense of fun and self-awareness that those films had um that me that has let them age so well in some respects um and it's probably really difficult to capture and you probably need a team that's really passionate about the franchise um and i think that the team behind rogue city probably are really big robocop fans and it shows i i saw a really random um short pop up on youtube about I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who played the original RoboCop in the you know the original trilogy. It's tri- trilogy. Well, I don't. Know. It, it 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 is a trilogy, but he only played it. He only played RoboCop in two. I think RoboCop three was the one that was like they completely fucked now. Like right. two was worse, but some people were like, okay, like it's different and it's worse, but it's still RoboCop for the most part. And three was out when where they're like, nope. Well, like, it's still about how they didn't, you know, were, were being, was it satirical? Did they take themselves seriously? But yeah, this really weird story where like, I think it was like a lighting tech said he was eating Oreos and the the, the guy who played Robocop um, was like so into his own character, like he wouldn't break character and he kept referring to himself as Robo and that they were up on some platform and the the lighting tech was like eating Oreos and he said, and he, call, he kept calling himself Robo, he wouldn't call himself by his name and he said, Robo wants an Oreo. And the guy said, Robo can't have an Oreo, but Peter can if he wants an Oreo. And then the guy, yeah. so the guy's like, Robo wants an Oreo. And so the dude, and then, then apparently he then told like the director and the di- on the radio, on the director radio, the lying text, like, can you please give Robo uh, an Oreo? And he stuffed like four of them in his mouth at once, chewed them all up, crumbs going everywhere and went, I haven't got any more Oreos. And apparently it's on like some 
uh, director's commentary or something and but the, the actor says he doesn't remember it at all and that it didn't happen but this lighting tech guy swears by it which just sounds hilarious to me like the idea that you you won't break character playing robocop because you're so like method or whatever this is very strange but well, you'll be glad to hear that not only is Peter Weller still alive and well, Jonesy, but he continues to voice Robocop in Robocop Rogue City. So uh, I wonder if he uh, only would be referred to as Robo during the recording of the scenes. I wonder. <laughs> I'd be interested to know. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. Um, um, any, anything else you've been playing? Yeah, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Dredge, which um, obviously was... Uh, relatively acclaimed it feels like when that came out um earlier in the year i think it came out back in march one of those games that picked up a lot of uh steam uh oh god i just realized i made a horrible pun accidentally picked up a lot of steam uh as a very solid steam deck title uh jonesy as it turns out and then i was kind of it was on my radar but I, one of those ones where you know ironically even when the games cost like 15 20 25 pounds you're like ah. half in half out kind of let it mellow and then it popped back up again but it was nominated uh, for a game award for best indie game. And I was like, oh yeah, Dredge, I never played that. So I picked it up, I played maybe like four or five hours or so, all on the Steam Deck. Um, and it, sure enough, it is a, it is the Steam Deck is the perfect vessel for that game. Um, and, it, and it's really interesting. Um, like anecdotally, first of all, I'll say it's very interesting that two of my favorite, and I'm not going to wade into the debate that Jeff Keighley waded into today, but two of my favorite small-scale games that were released in 2023 are both games that fundamentally revolve around the economy of catching and selling or in other or other ways utilizing fish mixed with different themes and ideas and, and tones and stuff like that. They, of course, being Dave the Diver and, and Dredge. But they take very different approaches because while Dave the Diver is a game about catching fish and then serving those fish as sushi in the evenings, uh, Dredge... It's a game about catching fish and uh, selling them to make uh, more and more upgrades to your boats to allow you to your boat to allow you to go further afield. But all set in this um, sort of, I guess you'd call it like a, a small open ocean world uh, that is very Lovecrafty in, in its nature and taps into some of the same ideas that games like Eternal Darkness have tapped into in the past. Where if you stay out uh, past sundown or sunset. Um, and you, you're still sailing or fishing in the dark, then there is kind of a panic meter that begins to settle in, and the, 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 the captain of this boat, the player character, becomes more and more sort of like paranoid, and you can start having visions, and that's where some very kind of like creepy, Lovecraftian sort of elements, um, some eldritch elements start kind of factoring into the plot. It also has this very overbearing dark tone throughout, Lots of very creepy music uh, that seems totally fitting. All the NPCs you speak to are kind of all very like, mysterious and very clearly trying to obscure all the the secrets of the town that they live in and the secrets of the waters that that, that surround the towns that they live in. Um, and it, it does this really interesting thing where it's kind of like it blurs the lines between what's real and what's imagined and what is the result of this. You know, the, the captain's kind of like paranoia. And tapping into, I forget what the phobia is, but people sort of like the fear of the sea and this kind of the great unknown. And it's right. so deep and it's so ever expanding. It's so dark that you never truly know what creatures might live down there. And kind of tapping into that in vibe and, you know, incorporating it into this dark, um, like 
but at the same a fishing game of all things like again fundamentally like there are like multiple different mini games for catching like various kinds of fish and you need to upgrade your rods or your nets and so on and so forth so like there are like coastal fish and there are ocean fish and there are like shallow swimming fish and like you need and, and so it's got all the depth of that kind of stuff people who like earning money upgrading something to go out and earn more money but at the same time if you like monsters and lovecraftian horror and you know uh you know tapping into the fear of the unknown and thalassophobia or whatever it's called like then it's it's very cool it's very cool nice sounds sounds good sounds interesting yeah if it's a game if i play it it's just a game about fishing i'm gonna be um i'm gonna think somewhat you 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 will definitely don't go into it if all you want to do is fish Um, right that's for sure but also don't go like if you if you want more than just fishing you will find more than just fishing or and them, you know the mystery there you know there are mysteries within there are characters there are story threads um there are challenge like that it's not a fishing game okay uh, <laughs> right um i've had a bit of a weird one on the gaming front this week um i ended up playing two games where a bit randomly um off the back of a youtuber that i watch well, it was a Twitch streamer, but he also does like shorts and things. Um, and he's a dev for a, com- um, a developer called Pirate Software. Um, I see him pop up sometimes, watch some of his stuff. And I'd meant to play his game for a while. And I, I'd hopped onto Steam, picked it up because it was on sale. And then there was another game which he'd mentioned as well that he said is a great game to play if you're like a, if you start, if you want to, th- if you think about making games, blah, 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 which I have in the past. Um, so the, the game, which I, is only about an hour and a half long, which I played and finished, it was called The Beginner's Guide, which is a 2015 game, which is from the guy who made The, Stan- the Stanley Parable, um, which is, um, yeah, was, was, was a good game, a bit weird. Uh, was, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm happy with how it all rolls out, if it was like, but, but then, you know, what the sort of game is, it's like a very narrative first person game where you're um the idea is he's walking you through a bunch of games that a friend of his made and they're all supposed to be different games, but they're all intertwined and the themes are all like linked together and it's all about like creativity and loneliness and development and um like hooks and it's it's quite an sort of a meta um fourth wall breaking game, which was which was interesting, something very different. So I enjoyed it for that. Um and then I've started to play uh guy the guy from pirate software's game um heartbound which is a fun little rpg it reminds me of undertale a bit but i think maybe that's only because i haven't played a similar game since um that would be more like it um but no enjoying that so far uh, again i think it's only like a few hours long um but i'm probably like half an hour or so into it where you you play as a little boy whose dog disappears and then you are not quite sure if you're like asleep or if you're dreaming and you go into these strange worlds and meet up with like weird talking animals and you're like trying to solve this uh riddle of like where your dog's gone and track down this strange alien creature that seems to have stolen it um but yeah like i said what's it, what's it going for tonally um these are funny no it is it's kind of a little bit like not not dark but maybe a little bit dark and um it's it's is a little like there are some parts which feel a little bit sinister um but no on the face of it it just it kind of feels like it's i don't even know yeah not comic not satirical it's it is it is an art like a just a little rpg of a kid whose dog goes missing and and you think he might be dead but it's also very undertaily and you're not supposed to 
sometimes yeah. you don't know if you've made the right decision about how to engage with a certain situation like you might meet a boss that you think i've got to kill this boss but actually it might have been that rather than kill the boss you should have not and you should have um like let them hit you and then you know it would have and there, there's even some kind of there are strange characters that pop up and uh and you can interact with and, and you get frustrated with and then they sort of reference the fact that you're not ready to speak to them yet and then you get drunk back in the game and they're like you haven't learned anything so it's, it's a weird is weird it's a little bit dark it's a bit fanciful um no but but cool and fun and some interesting ideas um so yeah looking forward to to uh finishing it off in the coming week interesting yeah, no, it sounds, I don't know if I'm just reading too much into that final example you gave, but it does sound like some of the kind of the meta things that were going on beneath the surface of Undertale might be present there, which yes. is interesting. And in a sense, you've played two very meta video games in their own way. <laughs> yes. You're going to kind of acknowledge the process of making video games, which is, is fun. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I don't know why I'm in that headspace at the moment. But then to completely to throw that on his head, uh, I saw something. I went to see um, Hunger Games: The Ballad of uh, Songbirds and Snakes. I think it's called, which is the prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy. Um, right. Hasn't done too well critically. Hasn't you know? Some people have criticised it, uh, said that you know, review front, not said it's very good. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I enjoyed the Hunger Game trilogy beforehand. Um, more so because i enjoyed the books before i saw the films um and i think when you do it that way round like films are kind of like a cherry on top because you get to like visualize a lot of the stuff which you've read and even if they don't live up to the books you still get to enjoy it um from that aspect the prequel is a bit weird and i think it's trying to do a lot in a so it's a two and a half hour film which is not short for a hunger games movie but it kind of feels like they didn't have time to fit everything in that they wanted to. Um, the beginning, like I'd say like the first two thirds um, are absolutely fine. And then for me, the final third, just the clip that it has to get through the rest of the story. And it, it's moving too fast for, for me. Is it, is it based off a book or is this is this one an original? No, it is, it is based off a book, which I didn't realize the book was released okay. back in 2020. Um, and I so the first thing I did when I got home after seeing it was I I bought the book, right? Because so you're doing it the other way around this time. I'm doing it the other way around because I'm like, hold on, there is more here. Like I'm missing so much stuff, and the way that the characters progress, uh, and the way that like people change their tone, and people have like they just seem to have these total like character reversals and things just doesn't quite fit um, in the film. But then at the same time, it's like it's two and a half hours long. They would have needed like three and a half hours to maybe do it justice. Um, but uh, if if you're into that that series, then yeah, I think it's definitely worth a watch. I think it 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 because it, it, it's the story of President Snow when he's like younger and how he gets into it. I will say Viola Davis is absolutely cracking; like she's phenomenal. Was like the uh, um, the head game maker, I think that she's called. She is. <clears throat> just yeah, you, could, you, you could bet your house on her being good whenever. She yeah, pops up. exactly. Like she plays this wacky, over the top, insane. Um, uh scientist and and there's a lot of good performances in it like i enjoyed is it rachel ziegler the the uh, actress that was supposed to be snow white is is very good um yeah was she is she the one that was in west side story i don't know i think I it's know, the I'm, I'm, i might be reaching with that one actually maybe we move on i'm not sure but um and the guy i don't know his name but the guy that played uh young president snow as well was very good uh but yeah no it's it's, it's a 
a good film for yeah. filling out more of the world, uh, the Hunger Games world, but definitely need a bit more work when it comes to like how they get that story across. Maybe maybe the book's the same. I don't know. I'll have to read the book and then come back to you. Um, but anyway, that is enough about yeah. me. I, I, well, I, was gonna, I know I was going to say, I, I'm clearly wrong because I'm looking at how much it's made and, it, and it's already made... Um... Let me get the the best figures I can. Uh, just shy of two hundred million dollars worldwide um, of a budget uh, supposedly of around one hundred million dollars. So it looks like it's okay. going to be completely fine considering it's a, a pretty recent release. Um, but I don't know if this is like a weird selective thing where my brain is now able to tune out things that it knows I'm not interested in whenever I'm like in earshot or eyeshot of an advert or something like that. Right. But I just. This was a film that I, I kind of knew was happening, and all of a sudden it was just out, and no one I knew was uh, well prior to this conversation had was even talking about it. I wasn't well, talking I, about it. I I I, can, yeah. I kind of passed me by, and it was only when my wife said, "Should we go and see the Hunger Games film?" and I was kind of like, "Oh, is that out?" I was like, "Yeah, let's go see it." Yeah. So it was, okay, it was a bit bizarre. And the strange. other question I have. And again, this might actually be something that would like has, has already happened in a previous Hunger Games film, but I haven't actually seen any of them outside the first one. Is there an actual Hunger Games in this film? So yes. Okay. So because yeah. yeah, what is strange is, that, so the first two, like the two thirds of the movie are, um, I I really enjoyed like because it's it's you know it's it's Rachel Ziegler's character. Uh, I think her name is. Um, uh something gray i can't remember her name um but yeah she gray bed lucy gray bed thank you so she gets she gets picked to be in the hunger games and actually the film starts out with and then she gets uh snow as her um uh mentor and so the first two thirds of the thing are how that all plays out so she becomes the contestant she goes into the hunger games he is her mentor and it's like their relationship it's her in the hunger games it is very similar i would say in some respects to the first film um in that, in that it seems to be the main focus is the Hunger Games, which is where I think the, the film is the strongest, and also their relationship and how their relationship builds mentor and mentee. For me, it kind of falls apart when it goes beyond that, because we know that the guy in this film is going to become this evil, sadistic, uh, like um, fascist dictator, President Snow, by the um, first Hunger Games movie. So you've got to get from his character at the beginning of this where he is you know totally different he is he's young poor um quite kind uh and like wants to help people and is and is personable how he travels from that to this evil like arch villain and they and for the first two thirds of the film like i don't know i didn't think they did enough of the transition so then you're just think they're thinking they've got a lot of work to do <laughs> to get him to complete yeah, that to, journey to- it's like Red Dead Redemption Two. Like, how is how is this Dutch going to end up being the Dutch that I know, or how is this John Marston going to end up being the John Marston that I know? Exactly, it must be such an interesting challenge to take on, narratively speaking, and incredibly hard to do in two and a half hours. One would imagine. Yes, exactly. That's why. Yeah. So it's it, it's, but no. It, yeah. If you're into the series, I think go see it. I, I, it was enjoyable. It was fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, and for, for, I was going to say for a series that usually has like like more experienced kind of uh, actors like filling out smaller roles usually wearing heavy makeup and wigs and and completely overdoing it but in the best possible way um uh, you mentioned Viola Davis but I also think adding Peter Dinklage and Jason Schwartzman to the to the ranks uh sounds pretty inspired 
Oh. Yes, that yeah, they were they were all great. Like it, that's it's one of those where I think um, that even if even if you sort of see it and think, oh, okay, this didn't quite live up to my expectation. There's some fantastic performances in this, and yet, as you said, Hunger Games is a great film for allowing people to kind of just go crazy on a character yeah, because they're so Stanley, over the top. Stanley Tucci was the best part of the first film. So so um yes, and his uh predecessor in this, who I guess is one of his ancestors or his granddad or something, um, yeah, is is again is is even ramps it up even more. Um and Peter Dinklage kind of plays this tortured, drunkard professor guy, which is yeah, like again, it's it's nice, no, great. It's great. Yeah, yeah, from a character nice. perspective, it's very good. Brand. <laughs> on brand um but anyway let's move on from us and let's talk about some more gaming news uh so the next story we have got is that um rockstar veterans are joining forces um and also some cheeky little secrets may have been revealed uh from rockstar itself um so obviously we know that gta 6 is going to be coming out i was going to say this month it's not this month it's next month because we're still technically in November. So a trailer? Did I say the game? Yeah, let's slow roll a little bit. We don't want to send too many virgins on Twitter and Twitter. <laughs> Sorry, the the trailer for GTA Six is going to be coming out next month, and um, so we are all pretty excited. Um, but Dan Hauser, uh, who formed um, transmedia firm Absurd Adventures that we've talked about before on the podcast earlier this year, um, he has now been joined by Zlaslo Jones and Michael Unsworth, uh, his former rock star. Content, I don't even know the word. Co- comrades. Let's go with comrades. Comrades, co-workers. You, are we going to say contemporaries? I was going to say contemporaries, but I feel like that's not necessarily people who work with you. That's just people from your, mm. you know, same era in the same area. Era and area. They all kind of work in their own way, but I, yeah. <laughs> they do. Uh, so, um, Laszlo Jones was the co-chair of Rockstar's production department for 19 years, while uh, Michael Unsworth was the series writer on games like GTA V, Red Dead Redemption 2, and he was there for 16 years. So they have both now joined uh, Absurd absurd Ventures um, with Dan Hauser, as we said, um, and they are going to be joining as the head of story and creative management. Um and we, uh, they have also filed two trademarks, American Caper and A Better Paradise. So because I know we talked about these these guys before, and obviously they're a multimedia sort of company. They do a whole bunch of stuff. Do we know yeah. if American Caper and A Better Paradise are what they are going to be? So uh, I did look at the, the trademark listings for them. And you know what they can kind of be like where they list all these words and it is kind of like really confusing and really they're just covering themselves off. Um to make basically whatever they want um but it does sound like video games so for example the american caper trademark is for goods and services uh downloadable computer software for playing computer and video games downloadable software for use in playing online computer games but then it goes down to like digital autographed items decorative magnets phone cases headphones robots interactive maps electronic handheld gaming other than those adapted for use for the external display screen or monitor Computer game software for use on mobile and cellular phones. Ah. Computer software for playing video game for playing video and computer games. Downloadable podcasts, fine art prints, acrylic prints. You know, so they've obviously got it. They they covered off everything that you'd need to do to both make a product and obviously merchandise that product. But in terms of what it could be, in terms of you know, is it a, a wholesale you know video game in the traditional sense, or is it a mobile game, or is it something weird in between? Whatever you know, they kind of. Or, the, or they're covering all their bases. Media. 
Or they mean like, we don't know what we're going to do. So we're just going to like try and hit everything before we sort of actually even know what this is going to be. Well, that kind of also, you know, holds some water with what we understand or rather, I guess, how little we understand Absurd Ventures to be. You can go to the Absurd Ventures website right now and it kind of is a bit bizarre. Other than being a little bit cringe and they're clearly trying to go for that, hey, we're, we're disruptors. Like, you ain't seen me yeah. until you've seen us, motherfucker. Kind of like edgy new wavy kind of and it's like all right just make a fucking video game boys <laughs> um other than a lot of that going on it's not really clear like what they want to do other than the fact that the you know they want to be disruptors and they want to set the record straight what are they there's a quote that i i saw earlier i want to see if i can find it but you might have to bear with me um while i do uh but i think it's it's one of them where you think either the fact that they've uh, the fact that Dan Hauser has managed to rope in like you know two long term employees of Rockstar is either like a really good, really strong sort of um, uh, you know indication that they're doing some exciting stuff behind the scenes, or maybe it's a bit like don't really know what we're doing here. We need to get some other big boys on on side, and these two people I know are good. So it it could totally be you know one or the other. But I remember when we talked about Absurd Adventures like back in the day, it was a bit of a um, it was kind of like, oh, okay, what cool games are they going to be coming out with? And then we just yeah. saw some of the video stuff they put out. It was like, oh, they have no idea. They literally have well, it, no idea what they're doing. Not, so not no idea new. what they're doing as in they don't know, you know, no idea where they're going to go with what they're doing is what I'm trying to say. Oh, they, I tell you, I, they have the skills. Totally. They just don't, I don't think they have, they knew creatively where they wanted to be at. But even having the skills, like, even having the skills and having a combined, you know, probably just shy of 30 years experience, making some of the most commercially successful video games of all time. They are still, you know, starting from, you know, from scratch. I'm not going to yeah. say rock bottom because there'll be plenty of, you know, venture capitalists and, and people of that nature who will pump all the money into this that is needed. But, you know, they're still, they're making new games, they're making new IPs, and gaming's a complicated world right now. Um, you know, they left at a time where their former company was having more difficulty with its flagship franchise than ever before. So they go into this knowing that things are complicated. But um, the, the, I will say that when you go to the website and pull up their little sub-menu, each time you pull it up, you get a different like phrase. And this is what I was referring to. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Stoking moronic outrage since yesterday. Derivative stories, wretched jokes, heartfelt selfies. I'm just going to do it over and over again until I get like... And so the crisis continues. Hot, hot takes, trash opinions. Gibberish. Trying to come good in the end. Finally, an American institution everyone everybody can hate. Meanwhile, I'm looking at this <laughs> weird like thing that looks like the aliens from the film AI Artificial Intelligence with a circle that says Persona Ego Self Shadow Animus Anima. Like there's all kinds of just weird shit. But I guess to get back on track, sorry. I think the interesting hire here, Laszlo being involved doesn't surprise me that much. Laszlo is kind of like has always been a figure behind the scenes of Rockstar and how much he actually contributed to the active development of some of their most successful games, I'd say. Michael Unsworth is, was a key kind of writer on... Um, well, he was there for a long time. I, I know his credits go back to at least GTA 4, but by the time you get to like GTA 5 and Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2, Unsworth was one of the key kind of like figures from the, on the narrative side of that those games' development. And so for him to be on board as head of story... And for a company to even have, have a head of story, it is the clearest indication we've got so far that there are, perhaps unsurprisingly, going to be more traditional 
narrative-driven elements or components to what hopefully end up being video games. Um, and I think that's nice to have confirmation because as these big rock star guys like Leslie Benzies, for example, have left and gone off to, um, I was going to say greener pastures. Let's just say pastures new for now. <laughs> we don't know the color yet. Um, greener pastures is in the, in the, there's definitely money there. Um, like you saw what he did with, what's it called? Everything or everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere. And you're like, okay, that's a guy who has Grand Theft Auto ran all over his CV, going and getting as big a check as he possibly can, and making a metaverse game. And it's kind of like, okay, fine. When you hear about like Dan Hauser rehiring Michael Unsworth and making trademarks like American Caper, you're like, oh, maybe they are just like, maybe they did just want to make a new company, start like keep the headcount lower, less you know, have like have one studio based in one location rather than being this big, that multi thousand people international empire you know keep it kind of succinct um retain a little bit more like creative freedom relinquish some of the pressures they probably felt from being for being responsible you know, for one of the most successful and beloved franchises of all time and maybe like maybe it's creatively stimulating to just kind of do a startup again like it happens all the time in you know in entrepreneurship you see people turn small companies into multi-billion dollar companies and then they're like I'm out and I'm doing it all over again. You know, that that does get people out of bed in the morning and maybe it's so different for game devs. Maybe it does. I think the one thing that um, I wonder when it comes to things like game devs, though, is it's all well and good going from like a company, you know, a massive company, like Rockstar, have loads of people on board and to say, I'm going to do things on a smaller scale. But it must be a bit of a culture shock to kind of be one of the people near the top of the pile or at the top and then to kind of say, all right, we're going to build a game and suddenly you have a tiny team and anything you could possibly think of, like if you wanted to make any uh, something a fraction as complicated as Grand Theft Auto, like GTA V, for example, it's going to take a small team decades to do it. Like so, then you know, yeah. you know, you need to, you even need to go, you need to go much more simple. And I don't know. And some people I'd worry don't have the capacity to do it. Like I know this isn't quite the same thing, but we've both done this where you work with um, producers, for example, who say, "I want this," and you think okay and then they'll they'll sort of give you what they want and you're like this i can't like no i can't do that that's going to be impossible i'm not um an animation studio or i'm not a an entire team of people who can produce a video and da 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 um and you think like and i sometimes worry that people like this have the same perspective where they think oh yeah we're going to do this and in some respects i'd rather they did something like uh, leslie benzies did and just go out there and say this is the game we're making this is how it's going to be this is what's coming because they will solve the issues they pump they bump into with like do they need a bigger team do they need more people do they need more investment whereas the thing i worry about with something like absurd ventures is if you're just getting ideas people on board you're not really you're just spinning the wheels burning money before you actually start putting out content like and, and even coming out with we're going to make american caper we're going to make a better paradise like, if you aren't making yet if you're not in the creation process and it's been you know a few years You've got to add another decade to when you're actually going to put something out. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm yeah, pessimistic. Maybe, but then, I don't, again, we just don't know how big they're shooting for here, right? No, that's yeah, absolutely. And and maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe they will completely rein in their expectations about what they can build and how big it can be. But it's just like games just seem to take so long to make these days, and they, they take so many people just to come out with like things that seem relatively simple because, of course, they're not. They're not simple at all. They're incredibly complicated. And they take a long time no, to convert people. Right. Um, yeah, so you, I right. do worry that 
yeah, people, and then it will be 10 years down the line before we see anything. But you never know. There's also the element that wanting to maintain a smaller headcount or like a more streamlined studio is also just speculation on my part. Like maybe he doesn't give a shit about headcounts and maybe Absurd Ventures have 500 employees by the end of next year. Totally true, totally true. And maybe they've just learned to keep their cards close to their chest, Rockstar style, and so we don't know, you know, as much as we think we would know. Well, well, the Laszlo Jones and Michael Unsworth's things have become news this week, but Unsworth, like, I think has been there for six months now. We just didn't know. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, keep, keep secretive. Um, but actually, this week, Jamie, we've learned some yeah. secrets from Rockstar. Yeah. Um, not in any sort of like dodgy, sort of clandestine, cheeky way, um, but through the simple process of an ex-employee from Rockstar North, uh, Obi Vermeji. I don't know how to say his name. I apologize, Obi, if I've said your name wrong. Obi Vermeje. Let's go with that. <laughs> Step in, but watching you try it all again... And taking a completely different angle of approach was very entertaining. Can you give, can you give us a third take? Obi Vermi. Um, actually, you know, Vermi, because there's no way you pronounce that J at the end of the surname. So Vermi might be the best bet so far. Let's I'd go. say it's probably something like Obi Vermi. Let's go Obi Vermi. Uh, so Obi Vermi, uh, who was an ex-Rockstar um, North developer employee, sorry, ex-Rockstar North developer, yeah, no, employee, I said it right, um, Yeah, has uh, come out or did come out with a blog that was pretty short-lived. He was at the company for 14 years. And so, you know, I'm sure, like a lot of us would do, thought people probably would be interested in what happened while I was there. So he decided to blog this. Like, what is wrong with that? Absolutely nothing, right? He put out some, um, you know, interesting stories of some little unknown factoids um, but as I said, it was very short-lived because um, in Obi, is that what you're going with, Obi? In Obi's words, some of the OGs are upset from Rockstar um, and there was something about ruining the Rockstar mystique or something. So he has pulled the the blog down, um, um, which is kind of unfortunate. I feel sorry for him. Like, he's he was there for 14 years. He should be allowed to sort of like put some stuff out there. I don't yeah. think he's, he's... He hasn't been putting anything out there which is like you know, private, insanely private or secretive, it doesn't seem. Um, so let's go through some of the stuff that he did uh, drop. Um, so he was talking about the development of the original GTA trilogy and Manhunt, but he did uh, reveal a few... See, I don't even know if I called them secrets. It's like things that people didn't know yet, but are they secrets if they happened yes. in the past? That's a, that, it, I think that's an, an interesting question that kind of is what this whole story hinges on. Exactly. So there was a 1970s Cold War James Bond-like action game uh, called Agent. Was it? Well, I guess it was just like titled Agent for them. That was cancelled. Yeah, and that that was announced as well. And Agent was like a thing for a while. I don't remember that at all. But um, so that was too much of a distraction apparently from Grand Theft Auto. So they decided to can that. Uh, they also had a short-lived zombie game, which was in development following Vice City's release, set on a remote Scottish island. Which that actually sounds wicked. Like a imagine a game, you know, where it's all set on a small Scottish island and there are zombies there. I think they're just the cast yeah. of the people you'd meet would be pretty he, fun. He said that it was it, it was be using the Vice City engine, and um, that most of the gameplay that they had experimented with. I think they only worked sort of like a month before all agreeing to just move on. But most of the gameplay they experimented with was around like uh, scrounging for fuel and stuff like that. Almost out of like uh, Days Gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, the, yeah, that was Days Gone that never was. Um, yeah. 
uh, the fact that GTA 3 was apparently originally prototyped for the Dreamcast. Um, he also came out of the uh, factoid that San Andreas had around 70,000 bugs, um, which uh, was doubled when they released GTA 4. Um, so, which, well, 140,000-ish bugs, which is a hell of a lot of bugs. But then big games, complicated games, so you can appreciate that, you know why there would be that many. I also wonder if that would include the same bug repeated. Like if you had a bug when cars uh, turned, let's say, for example, when they glitched, I wonder if they would count that as an individual bug if every car had the same bug. It was really interesting how you describe it. I, I don't know how they would like deal with a case like that, whether that would be multiple bug reports or one individual bug report. But he he remembers, he talks about like in GTA 3, how the way they handled bugs at the time um, was that they would, like the testers or the, the QA team would physically print out a piece of paper with as much info about the bug as possible. And people would have stacks of paper on their desks. And if you looked at a bug and it was more relevant to someone else, you'd go over and put it on their pile. And right. developers would just work. Then that's what a lot of the crunch was. Because he got, especially with... Uh, Vice City, because obviously he talks about how Vice City was made in a year, and um, they got they got six weeks off, I think it was a holiday between after three, and then came back and had less than a year to make Vice City. Um, but but it says that's but because that's why like apparently under the hood, and I guess you can tell when you play them, three and Vice City like engine wise are basically identical, and uh, most of the work went into creating a new map like things like that changed the feel of it a lot like a new front end and weather and music and then a lot of the other work went into story and writing and how they were like desperate to get a big star and they were really glad radio to said yes and all that kind of stuff I like all kind of things that are obvious reading between the lines but because no one from rockstar talks yeah it's just like oh cool um and it, it's funny you said about like Vice City being made in a year because even though it was made in a year, that I think they did a lot in a year. That was a hell of a jump from like three to Vice City. I think yeah. When it and it primarily like say from the story front, from the um, voice acting front, I think there was a there was a hell of a lot done um, between those two games. Um, and then the last uh, little tidbit we got was that Manhunt was originally designed to be first person, so you could have murdered people uh, even closer up than you got to do in Manhunt. Yes. He, I think, with the third, he just he, there's a lot of mention of Leslie Benzies being the person who would kind of come in, make a big executive decision, and was almost always right. And Benzies was the one that apparently was like, right, Manhunt's third person, end of conversation. And Bobby is like, and yeah, like usually when Leslie made a call like that, he was he was correct. And they were talking about he would talk about how there were a bunch of issues with the first person version with with like uh, like. Things like you, when you climb a ladder, there was no way to like see what, if anyone was behind you and weird weird stuff like that. And how th early on in Manhunt, they had this really ambitious system where en enemy characters, the hunters that kind of come after you in Manhunt, were grouped up into groups of four. And in each group of four, there would be one person who was des designated as a leader and would essentially issue instructions to the other three based on like what was going on. So if someone noticed something amiss, they would report it to a leader and the leader would report it over um, like a walkie-talkie that the player could hear mm. to tell the other three, like, hey, go and scan this room because hey, the guy was seen here. And that all got cut because the guy who was leading that system left, but they cut the walkie-talkie system. Um, but instead it was all like scripted, basically, like scripted events. Uh, That's what I, I can't like imagine. About, yeah. 
Can't imagine Sorry. what Manhunt would have been like as a first-person game. I think it would have looked even because at the time it looked. I thought it looked good. I was like, oh, this is, as well, you he, would. That, that's the other thing. He so he said so when they moved on from like uh, when they moved on from DMA Design, there was like the GT team and the Manhunt team, and the Manhunt team was different. And because Manhunt wasn't open world, they used this different technology where. Um, it wouldn't render because it, a lot of it was interiors. It wouldn't render rooms you couldn't see, which meant they had like loads more capacity to work with um, in terms of like memory and stuff like that. Right, and that allowed things to kind of. That's why Manhunt was sharper in some respects than obviously. But then there were also a lot of shared assets because um, Obi talks about how he had to come over from the GTA team and help Manhunt get finished, and like a lot of the visual effects stuff were like copied, which is why. If you see like newspaper clippings on the ground, some of them were the same in Manhunt and GTA, and oh. like little hacks like that. Well, um, um and how and how Obi was uh, one of the people who, when they were making GTA Three, uh, and he admits he was totally wrong, but Obi was adamant that GTA Three needed to maintain the top-down camera perspective, and oh. he code he made a top-down camera and was like the third-person camera has to be just an option in the options menu. And he said it was Leslie Benzies who were like, who was like, it's a third-person game, no ifs, no buts. And he's like, yeah, and Leslie was right. And he like, nailed it. Um, but as you can tell, Jamie has read the blog, uh, and you, so you may be a little bit upset. You can't read the blog because it was taken down. However, uh, if you wanted to have a go, if you wanted to go and have a read for yourself, you can access it still via the Wayback Machine, um, and you can see what Obi had to say from his own keyboard. So yeah, there you go. Super interesting read. Even they're, they're really short. It's kind of like one sort of short blog for each game, pretty much. Um, but just like yeah, fascinating. Totally fascinating. Still the single most secretive company, like relative to their size and reach in the uh, in maybe maybe uh, but I'm not going to say any industry. There are probably some pretty secretive companies in like the sex industry or something like that. <laughs> but in video games, they are yeah, they're, they're very secretive. Place. But, um, and, and often, you know, you don't. A lot of companies like to try and keep things to themselves, and there it just gets leaked. Um, a lot, and then Rockstar want to keep stuff to themselves, and they manage to, which is why it's so surprising because it just doesn't usually come out. Which is why this isn't doesn't feel like a leak, because like I said, because this feels like an after the fact. This is like a memoir or someone reminiscing. And the fact that Obi took it down when they asked him to, I think, even though he's not there anymore, is sort of saying something about you know, still obviously has a lot of good feelings for like the company and for for the people that he worked with um sometimes though you don't have to wait for a company um to have someone from the inside tell you what they're thinking because sometimes they click on steam they come right out and tell you what they're thinking uh as bethesda have been doing this week in our final story um on the super show uh, so this is the story that Bethesda customer support have been replying to individual Starfield players on Steam who have left negative reviews. Um, this is easily the most fun story of the week um, that I've seen. Uh, I, 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 I crazy. It's it's not a, it's not even cra- it shouldn't be crazy, but it is crazy because at the same time it does feel like something that's it's, it feels like something surprising, and you feel like it's almost like someone a celebrity being criticised on Twitter, and then they want to tweet at everyone who's criticising them and tell them why they're wrong. It feels like the same energy as that, which is why it's kind of weird. Because what has been happening is so let, let me let me let me set you up, and then we'll actually talk about what's 
what they've been say say what they have been saying to people because it is quite fun as we said. So Starfield is currently sitting um, with mixed review status on Steam. Uh, they've got sixty nine percent of the game's eighty thousand three hundred sixty five reviews on the platform are positive. So you know sixty nine percent. So we've got uh, what what is that thirty one percent are negative, which is why you know it's, it's this sort of mixed bag. Um, but then so with these negative reviews that Starfield has gotten. Um, and maybe with an idea to, to sort of trying to fix some of these, the Starfield support team have decided that one of the best ways to do this is to individually go through reviews and address individual points that people are making to try and maybe to change what, how they feel about a certain a certain aspect of the game that they felt was negative. Um, so, for example, in response to one user calling Starfield's story generic and the gameplay boring, um, Bethesda customer support have replied to say that um, they've tried. They've basically replied highlighting everything players can experience in the game, possibly to prove the game is not boring nor generic. Uh, they've said you can fly, you can shoot, you can mine, you can loot. Starfield is an RPG with hundreds of hours of quests to complete and characters to meet. Most quests will also vary on your character's skills and decisions, massively changing the outcome of your playthrough. So the game is there objectively, Jamie, not boring nor generic. Um, then in another uh, uh, review, a user has commented that the loading screens um, are too long. You know, they, there are too many of them, to which the support team have replied, um, consider the amount of data to the um, the expansive gameplay that's procedurally generated to load flawlessly in under three seconds. Again, negating your opinion and your review. There's not too many. They did not take a long time. There's a lot of go. There's a lot going in there, going on there. Blimey, I can't talk in that three seconds. Um, also, in response to someone saying that the um, that they have found Starfield's planets to be empty, the Bethesda team have said that by design the planets are empty. Um, and that is not, in fact, boring. And they even, um, with this particular review, said when the astronauts went to the moon, they would have found it very empty, but definitely didn't find it boring. Because oh, <laughs> that is the nature of space travel and space exploration. Um, science totally evoke a feeling of smallness <laughs> in players and make you feel overwhelmed. Absolutely. Um but I, I love these. Like I, I'm gonna. Which not I think I'm gonna do after we finish recording the podcast. I'm gonna go back to Twitter and just read some more of the comments that people have shared about um, the the reviews. I okay, all right. Let's get into it. I'm totally on board with Bethesda customer support doing this because a it's hilarious and we get to read through them and and laugh at them. B they put so much time and effort, the company, obviously not the support people, into this game. And I'm sure that they've been told that they've probably been told, like, um, go for it. You can respond. Like, maybe they wanted to before now and they've actually been given free reign to and they want to go and support the game. So I'm not mad at them. Um, I'm kind of like, yeah, fine. As long as you're not deleting reviews and telling people and like banning stuff and hiding it. Is there anything wrong with with commenting on negative reviews? Is there anything wrong with it? No. And I like it is you're right, in the grand scheme of things, pretty harmless. I still just think though it's a it's a bad look. Like when you and I were chatting about this before the podcast went live, we were talking about how, you know, oftentimes with online reviews, especially on like, you know, Google reviews and stuff like that, you'll find like a local takeaway restaurant that has two and a half stars on average. 
and the owner of the restaurant has clearly personally responded to every single review. And it's interesting. If you left the review saying, I had a bad meal at this restaurant, the owner, wouldn't re the owner would reply saying, I'm sorry you had a bad meal. The kitchen was really busy. We were overwhelmed. Things were slow. We made some mistakes. Please come back and give us another shot. The owner wouldn't reply saying, you're mistaken. Your food was delicious. You just <laughs> like you just ate it wrong. So that, that, that there is something about the way that these things are written. Like again, like we know that the way Steam reviews work is that these reviews are based on legitimate customers, people who have bought the game. The amount of time they've invested into this game will also be public. We don't have those numbers in front of us. But if someone came away from a, a game that thirty-one percent of people left a negative review for and said that they found some component of it. Gener generic or boring you can't reply telling them that they're wrong and then list all the things you can do like that's that's their opinion so there's something about the way that this has been written it's it's you could argue that it's trying to get them to rethink the way that they played the game the way they approach the game or to try and encourage them to go back in with a different angle of approach but a lot of them are kind of written in a no actually you're wrong kind of way actually here like actually Empty planets aren't boring. They, um, sorry, the word, let me find it. Evoke a feeling of smallness and make you feel overwhelmed so you can continue to explore and find worlds that do have the resources you need or hidden outposts to look through. Like, don't justify the things that people don't like about it. And if you don't have anything positive to say, then don't say anything, which is what 99.99999% of AAA publishers have been doing for the entire history of time. If you left, if you didn't like the Hunger Games, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and you left the, a five-star review saying, big Hunger Games fan, bit disappointed in this one because um, even even at a, a, you know, two and a half hours, which is a pretty hefty runtime, it felt like things were too condensed and there was a lot of information that was you know missing and not, not or not adequately provided or covered and whatever. And you got a response from a, an official representative of Lionsgate Films and they said, actually, we crammed that much story into two and a half hours to ensure the pacing was on point. And to make make sure that the film was riveting and exciting from beginning to end, you'd be like, what I would the fuck are you talking I would about? say thank you for correcting my my view. I will immediately change my five star review to eight point five. No, no, you of course, yeah, you know no, I mean? you know what I mean. It's like, oh no, I agree. Weird, weird look, and does it make it does it almost feel below Bethesda? It is weird on an individual level, but also just the way they're written isn't. Great. It, it is weird although i think maybe one of the reasons i maybe give them a bit of a pass is because there are a lot of industries that do feel like they have a right to reply when it comes to criticisms or re review and i yeah, the restaurant industry yeah the, the restaurant industry the restaurant industry is absolutely one however i uh, see we're saying like if someone had a meal at a restaurant and they said my meal was wasn't very nice and the, the restaurateur said no you're wrong your 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 meal was succulent and juicy and you should have really enjoyed it you ate, um, it, you ate, it, ate it wrong that i i know people um that would go to a, a, a restaurant eat the entire meal lick the plate and then would complain that they didn't like one aspect of it and then would be like uh, it was it was too hot. <laughs> you could be like, dude, maybe you ate it too quick. Maybe you should have had another drink and you should have not eaten it when it was That's scalding hot. It's, no, no, it's not. But there are for sure some criticisms which I'm sure they read as like... Because when it, cause games are weird because when it comes to say something like was a game... And it, this always we always come back to this often. Um, 
was a game worth the money and it's like if you had a 30 hour game that had a lot of original content it had a lot of like voice acting and story blah 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 and you enjoyed it for 30 hours but then between 30 hours and 100 hours you were a bit annoyed because it was a bit dull and there wasn't much going on should you still give them the same level of criticism as you would say give an eight hour cod game which had a really good story but nothing to do after that fact um like i you know we look at games very very differently but we all just call them games so i can imagine that that's why where some of it is coming from possibly like for example to say starfield is boring i would i would say okay i i do have some sympathy for bethesda if they're saying there's even if you don't like this aspect this aspect this aspect there are hours and hours and hours of other things to do in this game and enjoy and which and maybe get annoyed at boring but then i'm completely on board with what you're saying when it's like you can't tell a person who didn't like a meal they said oh i didn't like the this of the meal to go you should have done because that's that is weird and that's why i'm like half of me thinks yeah i get it you worked on this game for eight years you spent millions and millions of pounds hundreds of thousands of hundreds or thousands of people worked on it and you probably annoyed that someone called it boring so I kind of get it from that aspect, but at the same time, I'm also from the other perspective. I'm like, you can't tell someone they did enjoy it when they didn't. And you also can't tell me that, that but Starfield is a is a flawless game because I've played the whole thing and there is a lot of flaws and there's a lot of things I would critique about it. Um yeah. I enjoyed it. I completed it. I thought it was I thought it was good. I I would give it a 70. I don't even know what I said before. I'd give it a 76. <laughs> uh, wow, Satan's avatar fucking is a Pandora. <laughs> um but were there boring aspects? Yes. Were some of the planets dull and to go to? Yes. Were some of the caves uh, reused from other places and, and they were just repeats? Yes. Well, you know, it's, it's it's tricky. But then at the same time, I love that they've done this because we can talk about it and it's hilarious. And so like, yeah. read what they've written is kind of adorable. It's definitely hilarious. It's definitely adorable. They're also being kind, to be fair. They're not telling people they're stupid. They're not insulting people. They are just saying kind of with respect you're wrong they're also saying it to people who have already bought the game which is also like a really interesting kind of way of going about this like convincing like convincing people whose money they have already got that they had a better time than they did but would you want to argue with those muppets that don't even play games and then just leave a review no i just think it's interesting that like you know, you could be doing a lot to try and convert people to trying to play the game. It's interesting to have to appeal to the good nature of someone who you can't get any more money out of. Right. And it, again, it's not like a restaurant or a fucking theme park where like you want them to come back. Really, you do you do want them? There's to come no back. different. There's there's until DLC comes into the equation. There's no different between the Starfield consumer who played it once and the Starfield consumer who played it a thousand times. Um, no, but I, when I say come back, I mean the same amount of money. I mean, come back to Xbox, come back to Bethesda. Like in in, do you know what I mean? If they if they if they genuinely can turn support, a customer support response doesn't do that. And yeah, I agree. That as well as we do. Okay, then what about the idea that maybe they're doing it for the person, not for the person who wrote the review, but actually makes much more sense. They're doing it so that when someone reads that negative review thinking about whether or not to buy the game, they can then read the response and the res- and go, oh, maybe this review is wrong. That, that is a, a, a fair response. And I think going back ironically to restaurant reviews, I think that is why a lot of reviews get responded to is because having a public response where either you either A, take responsibility or B, make it clear why something was allowed to happen 
Um, I, I, I actually think that's not a, but then that is it, isn't it? That's why they're doing it. Nicotine reviews are a, a part and parcel and people can still see that there are tens of thousands of them that exist. But then I, I suppose if I hadn't, if I didn't already have the game, if I was on Steam and I was like, oh, let me check, maybe I should check out Starfield. And then I read, this game is boring, it's generic. And then I read, hold on, someone's written a lovely poem that says, you can fly, you can shoot, you can mine, you can loot. Starfield's an RPG with hundreds of hours of quests to complete and characters to meet. Maybe I would say lyricism I would, on point. I would, uh, I would say that someone on minimum wage has copied and pasted words that should have been on the back of the box. <laughs> Maybe. So, uh, someone in chat said, uh, I wonder how many of these reviews were from ChatGPT. We'll see. Maybe. I think maybe that was all this was an experiment to an experiment for an AI driven customer response bot. I just testing it in the wild. Now that we've now that we've said it, I'm like, I think that is ex the exact reason they've done it is because they were they're hoping that bef that prospective buyers looking at negative reviews are gonna almost like let's say they've got you know they've got the negative and then they've got the positive, or no, you're wrong because of this. They're hoping that some people would choose to click buy on Starfield, um, because those they'll be like, this person says. Uh, the planets are boring, but then the review, the response is there's a quadrillion planets, and you go, oh, oh okay. If there's a quadrillion planets and some are boring, that means some are probably not boring. I'll, I'll still buy it. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. I think I, I think they're kidding themselves if they think that these would have anywhere near that amount sway with anyone. But maybe I'm wrong. It'd be interesting to see if you could sort of see analytics to see if there was any uptick in Starfield being bought on steam uh at the time they started doing this because um yeah <laughs> it is weird it does see it is weird though isn't it the line you said earlier about like when they wrote about when the astronauts landed on the moon there was nothing there and, and they certainly weren't bored like that is awful that, isn't it? that's active that's horrible from a pr perspective like <laughs> who's that they're signing that off <laughs> Also, like astronauts who train their entire lives with this single moment to stand on the moon and look back at the earth and like you know in awe is not quite the same as some kid sat in his bedroom on his computer like who steps on a planet hoping there's something to do yeah. and there's not and a customer service representative being using it as justification for an empty procedurally generated planet yeah also that is the snarkiest one i think i've seen so far is the moon one because that is or whilst they're not they being bored. exactly because then it's almost like saying they weren't bored there must be something wrong with you it kind of has that feel about it be like yeah but mate i'm not on the moon am i i'm standing on a desolate spheroid in your computer game with nothing to do yeah i yeah it's, it's tricky man it's also i bet you i, I would bet that the more legitimate maybe I mean, i'm not being very fair by saying this but the more legitimate criticisms that actually deal with some of like my biggest frustrations about starfield i bet aren't addressed because they're more yeah. they're, they're more to go with game mechanics like uh flow pacing you know things that aren't quite right with that sort of thing i, I wonder if they would actually address those sorts of issues or or are they just going after low-hanging fruit like oh neil armstrong had a good time on the moon well, you yeah, you can fly in our game. What are you on about? I think the I think the best portal calls here. The best way to proceed is no one ever do this ever again. No, please do. 
it gave us something to talk about and it was fun so there we go um in starfield is if there was an, an award at the game awards for most frustrating game of the year i think starfield would probably take it from me most frustrating frustrating because i genuinely really enjoyed uh some aspects of that game and thought they were they were fantastic like the writing the the sci-fi like you know um uh threads that they they wove were great um but then sometimes they just wouldn't go anywhere or sometimes they just weren't enough of the finished product so for okay. like as an as a as an example like one of the things i would love to get a response on steam um there's a part of that game where you hop onto a ship which has got someone kind of like the collector from marvel you know benicio Toro's character um and he's got a whole bunch of stuff collected from all over the from earth and from uh, all other places and he's got all this he has all this all this really cool stuff and you arrive there and you think okay i'm going to be able to go about this mission in a number of different ways i need to get this artifact from him how do i go about it <clears throat> you end up the way i did it you end up talking your way into the room where the artifact is you've ex if you're like me you've already explored the ship and are already figuring out oh okay there's different ways for me to do this and to get out without getting caught and to take this thing and then it's like they dump all of that they dump all the setup they dump all of the pretense and they basically say you know you have to shoot your way out and you think well like well, why why are there all these little hidey holes why are these these walls that i can blow through i can cut through to sneak out why are there like characters here that it feels like i can have influence on to do this in a different way it feels like they it feels like they ran out of time in a lot well, of i say maybe they did but when you consider how long that game was in development for and how many delays it had but then i i i would also fully believe that they had run out of time in some components i, I also agree that that's not the kind of criticism that would be able to that you'd get a response from a customer support support team or, yeah um did your dev team run out of time in the construction of this mission this mission which meant that it didn't fully meet the expectations that i had going into it they'd just be like you can fly you can shoot you can mine you can loot and i'll be like cheers mate <laughs> you're it often enough then all your problems will go away yeah interesting that it's almost frustrating game like frustrating it's just not the adjective that comes to mind for me with Starfield for some reason frustrating because I, I think it, I never had that experience you just described but like frustrating in the sense of I think I don't think it was far off being fantastic so that's what I mean by frustrating not the game itself necessarily but I felt like it was it was close to that being very very good but in the end it only ended up being good see that that's probably where yeah, that probably makes sense because because uh, and tracked because I think the reason I don't think Starfield is frustrating is because I don't think it was that good. Sorry, I don't think it was that close to being phenomenal. I think it was good. I don't think it was close to being on the next tier up. I was I was uh, I was talking to Chris about it when we were um uh when we met up because um he said he's and he's a big Bethesda guy and he said that he's not uh, he's not that bothered about spoilers and he straight up asked me what the big kind of reveal thing is at the end that people were saying oh you know don't the, the reason some people were like desperate to do a new game plus and stuff like that yeah and, and and we talked about it and i sort of explained to him what it was and how it worked and he said that sounds awesome and i said yeah it was it's a fantastic idea for like for a, a new game plus and the, and the way that it's, it works and i said but you know what i haven't gone back and played it which which is a shame because i feel like if they'd have implemented it in a better way i think i would have done and i think i would have had more fun with the game I'm going to get you to tell me it after this podcast. 
I think you know already. Do you not know? Maybe you don't. I think we've already talked about it. Maybe we haven't. Anyway, I don't want to... We talked about, like, one element of Starfield that I guess is probably still a spoiler, but you gets revealed to you far earlier on than the end of the game. Right, okay. Yeah. But, and yes, it's, this is the thing. It's surprising to me, or someone like Chris, who's who loves Bethesda games and is totally into, like, he loved Fallout 4 and... and um which I I fell off a hell of a lot quicker than he did. He had a great time with it. Yeah, but for him to be like, do you know what? I'm not even. I I don't even want to finish it. Tell me how it finish. Tell me how it ends. <laughs> I was like, okay. Although he, he maybe maybe he just means he's not that bothered about spoilers and that he wanted. You know, he was happy to know, but he's still going to finish it. But hey, hey ho, you could always go and ask a Bethesda customer support how it ends because I'm sure they would tell you in in rhyme. Yeah, I kind of like the sound of that. Um, anyway, with that, that is the end of this week's Super Show podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Jamie, um, for as always your worldly insights and your expansive knowledge um, across multiple thank areas, for, not just gaming. No, thank, thank you for being such a generous and humble and diligent host. Uh, thank you also to everyone who's joined us in chat thank you for everyone who who chats after this has gone out drop us a like um drop us a review if you're on a uh, a podcast platform and you can do that um you know i'm not suggesting that you have to give us five stars if it's five out of five you can give us whatever you want but we may pop up and critique your review with a review of our own of your review but there's the support oh, style shit just got real do we have five stars alone our average on Spotify is, is is indeed five stars. Thank you to everyone who voted five stars. Love that. Thank you to everybody. Um, yeah, thank you guys. Um, we will see you again next week um, for some more hot takes and trash opinions. See ya. Bye.